and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. My name is Carla. I have been a dog groomer since 2014. Over time, be it before an exam, at the side of a competition ring or online, I have had many a quiet chat with fellow dog groomers who, like myself, struggle at times to balance life, work and maintaining a healthy well-being. My aim is to talk to both professional dog groomers and mental health professionals to help us understand what triggers stress and anxiety within our industry, why so many of us struggle with our mental health and what we can do to help ourselves. I also want to share stories and handy tips to make life in the salon easier. I am not a professional in mental health and I am not qualified or trained to give advice in this area. I am however interested in mental health and what effects our work can have on our well-being and finding ways to help. So, whether you are a brand new groomer or you have been at it for decades, whether you struggle with your mental health or work with a groomer who does, this podcast is for you. Hello and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers, the podcast. Today, the tables are turned. I am being interviewed by my fiance Gary Gray. I thought with it being episode 25, it would be helpful for you to get to know your podcast host a little bit more. Because although I know many groomers in and around the UK, there are thousands in the UK that I don't know. And I've also collected regular listeners from America, all over Europe, Australia, India, and many more. So because of learning about my ADHD, and because that has been such an enlightenment to me with the respect of understanding my mental health, we begin with how my ADHD affects me. I should have really put this in October as it was ADHD Awareness Month, but I wanted to be episode 25 because it's a nice round number and I have a special guest already lined up for episode 30 because it will be the end of the series. I also answer a few questions that have been submitted by the listeners and I answer the questions that I ask my guests at the end of each interview. I was absolutely exhausted and I'm still recovering from this cold and it felt really weird being the other side of the questions, but I hope you enjoy it. Here we go. Hello, Gary, and welcome to Wellbeing for Dog Groomers. Hi, Carla, again. Welcome back. We've got you here today because we're going to have a bit of a change up, aren't we, and how we're going to do things today. Yeah. I thought it might be nice for me to answer the questions that I usually ask other people, just because it, it might be nice to hear the interviewer it, get interviewed. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be a good in, insight into the background of why you've done this. Yeah. Um, the background about you, because what inspires people to do these things. So um, I'm actually going to hand over to Gary then. Yeah, take it away. <laughs> okay, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> it feels a bit weird handing it over. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about your ADHD journey. Okay, so I listened to a podcast on Happy Place. One of her episodes on Happy Place, mm. she interviewed someone called Jordan from Rizzle Kicks, who mm. was talking about his ADHD. And I thought, oh, this rings a bell. And I come across ADHD AF and ADHD adults, which obviously I always recommend. And because it just rang so true to me and really was quite relatable and quite enlightening. And how did you find that? Was it quite a revelation to you? Was it quite a, a moment? At first, yeah. For about six months or so, I should think, I was just really engaged in learning about it. I connected, obviously, to the scattiness. I've mentioned that loads on here before, forgetting things, checking things, yeah. all that sort of thing. That's obviously one way that it really presents in me. But then also in the emotional ways, ADHD is quite common to have a, like emotional disorder regulation so and also the burnout ADHD people tend to like go at things 10 to the dozen and then completely burn out and I know that that is really common in our industry and across the board with you know non-ADHD people as well but it seems to be a real theme that people with ADHD particularly struggle with and I would say that I'm definitely that sort of person that will just go 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 I do feel like one of the questions that they ask you in your assessment is do you feel like you're being driven by a motor And some people do feel like that, some people don't, and I definitely do. I find relaxing quite difficult. I'm on the go a lot. Even when I want to sit down of an evening, I'm up and down doing this, that and the other. And it really is quite exhausting. So there is that hyperactive element, So I find that, yeah, I find that sometimes I really feel like I am trying to have a day where I need to relax. I know I've got this one day this one opportunity to relax and for example most Sundays Sunday is the day that I try and relax before doing all my jobs and stuff on Monday ready to go back to work Tuesday how often is it that like Sunday afternoon I've been out maybe for a coffee in the morning popped and done our supermarket jobs garden centre jobs and then you'll sit on the sofa and 
play on your iPad and chill out, chill yeah. out and relax. And I don't really ever do that, even though my intention would be to do that. Yeah. I end up having all the kitchen cupboards out. And yeah. So what do you do? What do you do to relax? I mean, you spend a lot of time in the garden when you can. Is that relaxation for you? Um, yeah, I suppose so. Mm. It is relaxing, but at the same time, it's still energetic you're moving stuff around digging stuff up moving stuff about you know generally it's making still, a mess <laughs> yeah generally making a mess but it's it's relaxing for my brain but I right. mean for my body because of how hard wearing grooming is on your body it doesn't always help me actually give my muscles a break do you know what I mean yeah so okay. physically it's not as relaxing mentally it is gardening has been well proven as, as a, a way of really getting into your mindfulness because you're concentrating on something else. It's, you're, you're focusing on one thing. Mm-hmm. I know personally, when I was going through a bit of a bad time, actually focusing when I was judging or handling or whatever, because you're just focusing on that, it takes all that other rubbish that's going on in your head away. Yeah. So Sometimes with my ADHD, because I'm so busy in the brain, it doesn't let my body relax when right. I've got the time to relax. So right. that's what I'm sort of trying to say. I find it generally very hard mm. to just stop. Well, as, as an observation, obviously living with you, it seems that it's like all or nothing. So you go full out 100 miles an hour, and then you, when you finally sit down of an evening, next minute you're fast asleep. Mm. You just sort of seem to crash. So that's your body's way of saying, right, okay, time to quiet everything yeah. down. But, but on that journey... We've been to several different lectures, different gatherings about ADHD. Mm-hmm. What I found personally interesting was the presentation given by, what's the guy's name? Dr. James Brown. James Brown. I found him very interesting in so much that he explains it in a way that is easy to understand. Yeah. But equally, as a person living with someone with ADHD, it gave me a better understanding mm. because... With all of these type of things, any form of mental health issue, I suppose, or well-being issue, it's not just about the person. It's how it affects maybe the colleagues, the family, the people around them. Yeah. So what did you take from that presentation? I think through life, I always feel like people believe other people more than me. And I don't know why I always think that. But when I tell someone something, Mm. I feel like I've got to justify it afterwards. But by someone with like an official title, like... Dr. James Brown. It's mm. like when someone else is saying it who has got the credentials to stand behind what they're saying, it makes me feel a bit more like the people with me are more likely to like take it on board. So it's a form of justification in so much that, and I've seen this a lot um, and heard a lot of it, we both have, where people do the classic thing with ADHD oh well yet yet another badge to wear because it's not like a broken arm is it you get a broken arm you see someone in plaster or a sling and people go oh you get better but with mental health issues you can't see it so you don't understand it so people are like like the old-fashioned way used to be oh pull yourself together type thing yeah what I got from that presentation was more on the fact basis the fact that it isn't a clinical condition and from what you've just said it goes to show that a lot of people with the condition or conditions like that that they feel they have to justify it. Mm. Um, And that really woke me up to the fact that, no, you shouldn't have to justify it. It's about better education to to make people understand. Sadly, our media doesn't help because they like to rubbish it. So that had quite a big effect on you because I can remember when we went to have your questionnaire done at the ADHD centre and I saw a whole different thing because the mask was down. What I mean by that, ladies and gentlemen, is the fact that we tend to mask, we tend to hide things away. And when you're told... That drop the mask, just be yourself. I just saw a completely different Carla. This hyperactive person that's just waving her legs in the chair like a child would do. I think what affected Gary seeing me like that, because he attended the screening with me, was that the lady said, you need to be acting as natural as possible. And because I felt like quite a lot of pressure on that Mm. meeting, and so I just knew that I had to be myself and not tense myself up and restrain from tapping my feet, bouncing my legs about, sitting forward and sitting back, Mm. jiggling about like I would. Sometimes when I feel like I need to do that, I just sit still Mm. and go more quiet and internalise it. But I knew that in that, that was like my chance to unmask, which Mm. is difficult, but because the lady also struggled with ADHD and I think she said she was autistic as well. And because it was an ADHD centre, I felt like, I was in a comfortable place and where could I could act how I wanted to be myself. Yeah. And it, it was yeah. actually quite essential that I did in that moment. Right. 
obviously she said at the end of the screening, didn't she, that there was no doubt that this was what I was struggling with yeah. and such. But Gary, having lived with me for already a year by that point, mm. it was clear to me that you was quite taken back about it. Yeah, and, and, and I was, yeah. But I, th- I think when you have a condition, because it's you, you in your head, and I can only speak from my personal situation when I had a breakdown, you think you're going mad. You think there, there's something wrong with me, but I can't put my finger on it. And your mind starts to play tricks with you almost and starts telling you what you think's wrong with you. So when you've got justification of what that is, mm-hmm. I know it's quite a transformation in you in so much that you were, you went through that cycle of, oh God, I finally found out what's yes, wrong with me. Yes, that's what I was, sorry, I did stop. I sort of got on a tangent there, but what, right. what I meant was when I first found out about it, yes, it was enlightening, but then there was obviously, I think what you're referring to now is that period where it did get me down for a yes, while it did. because yeah. I just felt like all these things that I do struggle with, it was sort of like, what is it ever going to change? No, it's not because this is why I've got a reason mm. why I did it. Mm. And I got quite negative about it for you a while. Like, I'm noticing how it affects me most, which is obviously at the emotional dysregulation, which is... It goes a lot with the burnout. It's just basically one minute or one day you can feel really happy and really on top of the world and another day you might just feel like everything is just too much to cope with and it feels like you're just rolling along with life like you're on the sea and you're just like, you know, swimming your way through. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, you yeah. feel like you're not really in control of everything mm. but you've got this to do and this to do and this to do and this to do and you're just bobbing along. And that is generally when I'm burning out. That's not. That's when I know that I'm going to crash. Obviously, we're talking about dysregulation and all these things. But as a person living with someone with ADHD, it's quite interesting. And to back that up is that one moment, Carla's like one of these bouncy balls. You know, remember the little parables we had when we were kids? So she's like a cat on a hot tin roof. And then literally, like someone throws a switch and, and it goes the other way, where it's just very introvert almost locked in but also hyper focus and there's some really interesting material out there i'm trying to think of the book that was written i've got upstairs uh, you've got that book dirty laundry yeah dirty laundry reference that in the notes maybe because yeah. it's a good book in how a couple she has adhd and he's learning how to deal with it and they take them through their their life path it's quite amusing but equally it's really really informational and really opens your eyes to what living with someone with that condition really is about and how you can kind of move forward with it. Thanks for that, Carla, because to be open and honest about something, to bear your soul a little bit, it's not easy. So let's lighten the mood a little bit. And we've got some questions from the listeners. The first one we've got is from Josephine. What do you like and dislike about grooming the most, Carla? I like being my own boss. I like turning out grooms that I'm proud of. Yeah. It might be like, I've got a new breed in and you're working yeah. on that breed and you're revising yeah. that breed and you're looking out for them at shows and you can see clearly that over the last six months of you doing that dog in the salon and compare what it looked like the first time it came through your door to what yeah. it looked like today when you was really proud of it. And it's looking back at the learning journey. I find that really interesting and really rewarding. So a good good, good sense of accomplishment. And I think most of us like to do a good job to accomplish things. Yeah. Would you say that's quite a driver for you? Yes, yeah. yeah. Okay. I also like the dogs that come in. We're all fond of dogs and that's why we became dog groomers. But occasionally you get a dog in that you just really like. Yeah. So, for example, uh, some of these dogs you'll have met, so like like Kiki the Little Pom, every time I see that dog, she just makes me beam with this massive smile because just She's seeing just a her dog, she? just makes me think, yes, if I see that name on the list of dogs for today, I'm like, oh, brilliant, I get to see Kiki or Buddy, the Newfoundland that I groom, or there's this little Westie that I groom called Maggie. She's an absolute pleasure too. And just things like that. And that's the dogs that you have the bond with. But when you also have a bond where you're working on that breed standard and you really have that bond with the dog, that's like the best thing. Right, that ticks all um, the boxes. Yeah, yeah, so for example, when I was working on my hand stripping, I worked with a Irish terrier and I really, really like Irish terriers. Going back to when I first started grooming, I worked in a, a salon with my college teacher, a bit of work experience. And I remember she brought an Irish terrier and she said, this is an honour to groom this dog, Carla, because there aren't many of these about. They're mm. really quite rare. You don't, a danger you, yeah, you don't yeah. see a lot of mm. them. And I remember thinking, wow. And I was lucky enough in a salon to have a lady bring her Irish terrier to me for a couple of years and she was just starting out showing. And that dog sort of came in with this sprightly little trot and like would always jump up and want a fuss of me and it would stand to be stripped beautifully and it just had such a presence about it. And working on that trim made me like proud and really just enjoy the time. It didn't matter how long it took because yeah. 
I just really like the dog and I really like the job that we So it's about that the connection with the dog firstly yeah. but also when you can accomplish something which might seem quite daunting at the start but yeah. you've actually found your way through it. Yeah. It's almost like you can be easily inspired and that's not that's a positive thing by passionate people. So yeah. the, your former uh, lady that introduced you to the Irish Terrier her passion seems to inspire you quite a lot. Yeah. But yes, I totally agree. I know if you've got a dog that you just immediately bond with, um, well, say Kiki, for example, and she's such a sweet little thing, that can make your day go by brilliant. I mean, if you could have one Kiki in every day... Oh, that'd be fabulous. It would make your make your life, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, keep, it keeps you inspired to do the job, doesn't it? Yeah. We have a question from Michelle. How do you motivate yourself if you're having a bad mental health day? I don't struggle with sort of motivation to get up because like I explained sort of with my ADHD, I do feel like I'm driven like a motor. So even if I really just don't want to get out of bed in the morning, I feel like I've got to get up, I've got to do the dogs, I've got to do this, I've got to clean the salon before I start because I've got so many things that I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got so to do. So it's more of a duty. I don't ever feel held back by, usually don't feel back by motivation or anything like that unless I'm extremely burnt out. Sometimes I'll just feel like... It depends really what's going on in life. If there's something in life that has upset me or unnerved me or outside of work has been playing on my mind as such and I just can't stop thinking about it or I've got myself worn down and I've got myself in a bad emotional state. One thing that I do when I'm in the salon, so getting into the salon isn't the struggle, but once I'm in the salon, I will put on a podcast that I know is going to cheer me up. So something like, um, I really like Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Parent in Hell. Yeah. I haven't got children and it's a podcast about it's quite, parenting. It's quite, it's quite light, isn't it? And it's quite <laughs> but amusing. Yeah. I know that they are the sorts of people that will put a smile on my face. Lighten the mood. And mm. lighten the mood. Mm. And they're so chit-chatty and they're both sort of wandering off on different tangents and telling different stories. And it's the sort of thing that will make me listen. So that helps me. And I listen to the podcast while I'm bathing the dogs. Not while I'm blasting, but when I'm trimming the dogs. So... Podcasts have really, really helped me since they've yeah. become like a thing. Also, if I'm having, if I'm really upset by something, like I say, I'm, I'm, I, I struggle more with anxiety and burnout and overwhelm than I do anything like depression. Mm. But for example, if something's happened outside work, mm. if I feel like I am not mentally in a place where I can do my job in the same capacity as if I, for example, had flu yeah. or had sickness diarrhea or something like that too much information then i will i have been known to cancel just cancel days work right and just reschedule for even if it means working a sunday and taking a wednesday off yeah i know nobody really wants to work a sunday and not everyone has got the option of doing that but because i work for myself by myself if i feel like i'm in a position where my brain is just not in the right place. If I'm too anxious, that's going to make it a difficult day because the dog is going to be anxious. If I'm already feeling down in the dumps and stressed out and tired, mm. that day is only going to get worse and worse throughout the day for me. So right. I have been known, depending on what customer I'm talking to, and I know it shouldn't matter which you know who you're talking to, you should be able to be honest, but I will either say I'm having... I'm not feeling very well today. I've got a sickness diarrhea bug and I can't work today. Are you free Sunday? Can I replace that so appointment? So you reschedule it, yeah. There are, there are customers where I'll be honest and I'll say, I'm really sorry to do this to you today, but my anxiety is really bad and I don't feel like I'm in a place today to work with the dogs because that obviously becomes a bit of a circle. Well, it reflects um, on the dog. I need to have a break. Mm. I'm run down and I just need a day okay. of self-care. Yeah. Is it possible for me to reschedule for Sunday? And okay. it, depending on what customer, because I know my customers really well, depending on what customer it is, I will tell them one or the other yeah. of those two things and just take the day off. Right, okay. If I go back to the first question from Josephine, which said, what do you like and dislike about grooming the most? We talked about what we like. We didn't talk about what we dislike. What do you dislike about grooming? I find it difficult when dogs just don't want to be doing everything that you want to do with them. They want to stand towards the back of the bath. They don't want to get their head wet. It goes they with the territory, doesn't don't it? don't like mm. the dryer. They don't want their feet trimmed. They don't, you know, they fidget around a lot. It's just like everything that you try, it's like banging your head a brick against a brick wall. Those sorts of dogs do really frustrate me and they make my job a lot less enjoyable because you don't get the chance to have any creative flow. You don't feel like you're bonding with the dog because whatever you're trying isn't working. Mm. You don't turn out the groom as well as you could and that makes it feel makes you feel awkward when the owner comes in 
I think that if you've got a dog in where it's just not comfortable for whatever reason, maybe it didn't start young enough, maybe there's something about the groom that is, you know, it doesn't particularly enjoy, maybe it's got separation anxiety. I find that very frustrating. Mm. And that sort of a groom will wear me out. And in fact, I'm actually very lucky. I've only got about four or five, four dogs, I should think, on my books that I actually have to muzzle for areas of the groom. I have got it really good. Yeah. And I would rather groom those dogs than the ones that are just awkward. Because yeah. over time you can calm down that behaviour and see it come around. I find reward in that. And I find yeah. I like the challenge of it as such. Yeah. But when it's just awkward dogs, yeah. that frustrates me. The dogs me. that you struggle to turn around. I mean, we, we all love a challenge. But when, when it gets to the stage, no matter what you've tried, and it still doesn't work. And bear, bear in mind, we're dealing with animals. So we don't really understand what goes on in their own home, what their upbringing was, what their background is. So there's nothing else you would say you really dislike about grooming. No. Okay. All right. No, that's that's fair enough. Alison has given us a question. What is the best advice that you have been given about caring for yourself and the care for the dogs? I've been to so many seminars, so many demos, and you can take great advice from everyone. But one piece of advice that I was told right from the very beginning by my original grooming teacher, Bernice, and has also been reinstated by many, many groomers over time, is one hand on the dog when you're grooming always have connection with that dog with your one hand because the amount of times that they'll jump at the last minute dart about at the last minute if mm. they're feeling a bit nervous mm. if you're if they're mm. trembling in certain areas there's so much that you can feel and understand about a dog just by having your hand on it caring for yourself i was very very lucky very early on in my grooming i think i'd only been grooming about six weeks before i met mandy from the scissor boutique and Meeting her and understanding scissor skills, how to handle your scissors, your scissor action. I constantly saw her, you know, I did go through a phase of like seeing her quite often at different competitions and she really did take me under her wing. But I think understanding scissor action, scissor skills, things like that are really, really important to protect you and your hands going forward. When I first started, I, I had terrible scissor action. As we all do when we first start grooming, no, nobody's born with grooming scissors in their hand. And it's all completely new. So seeing Mandy on a regular basis and just tell her telling me, adjust your finger to this point, hold this bit here. These mm. scissors are going to be better for it's you because they fit your it? hand better. Certainly. If you want to do um, work on this particular breed, you're going to need this sort of scissor because it will be strong enough or yeah. it will be light enough or yeah. it will be appropriate for that job. Understanding is really, really important because you're going to avoid injury and you're going to get the best work out of those scissors if you understand them and if they're correct for you. Okay. You've mentioned quite a couple of people there. Uh, Bernice, uh, Mandy, um, there's lots of other people you've mentioned. So just a supplementary question to that. Who would you say has motivated or inspired you the most? A whole mixture of people, but there is a common theme. To name a few, I would say, obviously, Bernice was a massive influence on me in my earlier days. Yeah. When I first started, I was very lucky to have her as an initial teacher. Feebrook then taught me. Watching her groom a poodle would just take my breath away. Oh, she's amazing. It's a standing <laughs> joke, wasn't it, that Fee, um, Fee says you were a stalker? Yeah, yeah, so she inspired me. But then also people, since I've been out in the industry, I have the utmost appreciation for your Asian, your creative, all your other types of grooming out there. But Bruce Sanders get me going, basically. So... When I was learning at the beginning and hitting all of the seminars, I loved learning from people like Zoe Duffy, Eve Summers, absolutely brilliant. I learned so much from Angela Cayley over time, so she's been a massive influence. Lindsay Dolson really inspired me to get into the Bichon trims, and obviously I've been using Bichons in competitions for a while now, so she's really, really inspired me. Also, people such as Yitka, she's really inspired me with my hand stripping. Alison Rogers has been very supportive to me. There's so many, I can't name them yeah. all, and I'm, I'm worried about missing people No, out, don't but, worry about that, I'm um, sure they won't be offended. Lots of people, but people who really are sort of breed standard orientated, people who are good teachers, people who are explaining things clearly. Okay, thank you for that. Right, we've got a question here from Jo. She says, Carla, you spend a lot of time doing podcasts to help others with their well-being. So what do you do for your own self-care and what picks you up? Well, I smoke a lot. (laughs) 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 It's probably not the healthiest. I suppose having simple things, really. We like to go out on our little Sunday trips here and there, don't we? Things like that sort of keep, keep me getting out of the house. I feel like I get cabin fever a lot with obviously 
grooming at home and living at home you can feel like you're in the same four walls for eternity some weeks and last week I think I said to you we need to go out because I need to get out of the house I, I like driving about having some music on having a chat in the car simple things trips to the garden centre the odd occasional dog show the occasional dog show yeah. yep get out to a dog show grooming competitions but I mean I would say I don't, I don't find them so much sort of calming spending time with the dogs getting out in the garden. We got a question from actually one of the people that you were talking about earlier. Um, Fee, tell us about your journey from dance, um, teaching dance and dance that you did, to grooming. Why why that transitions first? What got you into dance? Dance is something I had always done as a release of energy, a release of emotion. I always felt like I could get rid of stuff when I was dancing right. as a child. I did stage school through school, which was singing, dancing and acting. Right. Um, stage school really took me places and gave me experiences that made me I, made me feel like I wanted more. So when I was at stage school, we used to go up to London and do shows at the Palladium at London. And that sort wow. of thing, when you get on a big stage like that and you've stood on the same stage as people like the Beatles yeah. and <laughs> some of the biggest musicals and things like that, it, it's an honour. And I mean, now I'm in dog room, it probably isn't even that impressive but just because be... it's, not, it's out of context. And the idea of being on the stage sort of putting your stage face on so it's, it's get taken away from you and it becomes a performance so dance covers quite a broad spectrum what sort of dance really floated your boat i particularly liked street jazz i liked contemporary and i liked musical theater but then you took the next step which was to start teaching people in dance so a lot of children and things what, what inspired you to do that was it kind of just a next um, step or to be honest it's pretty cheesy but back in the 90s there was a lot of dance films out things like save the last dance honey all those sorts of films step up um all the step ups i think there's about five of them but the, the films where you would go to uh towns with children that particularly didn't have opportunities as such to do things like dance classes and that did kind of hit home i don't live on the streets of america like all the, the films but where i do live is very small and there's not a lot for the young people in my area to do so i wanted to give the young people of the area something to inspire them give them the opportunity to learn dance and put on shows and we used to go to trips to the theatre, so these kids may not have had the opportunity to go to the theatre with their families. Right. And you could see just by the looks on their faces, seeing these professional performances, that used to make me really happy and really proud. I really enjoyed developing the relationships with the young people. I've never particularly wanted children. And that's never been on my agenda of things to do. But I do like playing the fun aunt role because yeah. I find being around particularly teenagers, they do kind of have that energy about them that just cheers you up because you're at that age where you're making so many decisions. You don't really know who you are. And like things like I said, Dance Unleashed was called Dance Unleashed because it would be a case of getting out this stuff that's in your system. I found it very beneficial as a teenager to do that and yeah. so to provide that for the next generation's over the 10 years that I was teaching yeah. I found that dance was a really positive way for these teenagers to like express themselves and let this energy out be it excitement mm. be it stress be it whatever it is just getting it out in a positive way and you used to put on quite a lot of shows as well didn't you yeah we put on our own shows twice a year and then we also took part in other shows in the theatres around my county we got quite a lot of opportunities and quite often got invited to do various things so that was nice and i took a troop of young people over to romania for a week wow. representing our country and what we do here in a european i suppose week tour around romania when they joined the eu and they mm. had people from england which was us but there was people from france there was people from spain there was people from turkey there was like a right. romanian troop there and we all demonstrated what was popular in our countries to welcome Romania to the EU. Actual culture is what it was called. Uh, what made you come away from dance? So I'd been teaching dance for 10 years alongside waitressing. I was working a lot of unsociable hours. I did teach dance in schools and I would travel around various schools in my county and teach during P lessons. But I would also run my own company in the evenings, which right. would inevitably mean that I was actually working until sort of nine o'clock at night teaching dance. But then if I was waitressing, I might be waitressing until 11, half 11. Wow. It was hectic, I would say. I feel <laughs> like, I, no, it suited me because I had so many different jobs and so many places that I worked that I never got bored with any one job. Right. And the variety was good, but it wasn't really getting me anywhere financially. 
Right. I was skint a lot of the time, always in and out with my overdraft as such. Sometimes I'd make it up to the positives, but inevitably two weeks later, I'll be right at the edge of it again. I was renting my mum and dad's house. They were also aware that I was struggling. My mum was working at a local agricultural college at the time and they had an open day. So my mum and my dad went to the open day. They were lambing and doing lots of nice things, yeah, a nice yeah. sort of day out. And there was a lady there scissoring a poodle. That was before Fee worked there, so it wasn't actually Fee. And apparently dad said to mum, don't you think Carla would enjoy doing that? Dad came home and said, oh, we saw a lady scissoring a poodle. How would you feel about dog grooming? I think that'd quite suit you because you like running your own business. You can book your own customers. Da, 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 da. It might be, you know, something that'd be good for you. At first, I was like, dog grooming, are you having a laugh? <laughs> I was like, fluffing dogs up all day. What? I was like, I just, that, the idea didn't ever cross my mind. I had a dog at the time, but it's a smooth-coated breed. Yeah. And so grooming's just never been on my radar. But then the cogs did start turning and I did think, well, do I want to carry on this lifestyle? Which, like I said, it's not bad. To me, I felt like I was still like university age, just still doing waitressing jobs and flitting between different no things. And it wasn't financially going to ever go anywhere. Mm, I wasn't mm. ever going to get myself out of the situation that I was in. I didn't feel like I was learning things all the time i just felt a bit stagnant as such right. i felt a bit sort of stuck so you lacked that direction really yeah. yeah yeah so then i started looking at this course that dad had sort of recommended because my dad is uh, a massive you know influence in my life i've got a very very good relationship with my dad and he knows the sort of things that you know that i enjoy the things that i don't so you've got your dad to thank for getting into golf yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. so the second question from fee how have you come to learn that it's not just all about work and how have you adjusted she says that she can see the change is evident in your life now compared to when she first met you i think that the start of it was the pandemic right i'd say carla pre-pandemic is a very different carla to post-pandemic pre-pandemic i was out every single weekend a different seminar demo competition dog right. show you name it, I was there. If it was on Facebook as an advert, that was it. I mean, I wouldn't say, I didn't go to everything. I was choosy in what I went to. Right. But if I felt that something was going to benefit me, there was, even in just the smallest respect, I would be there. So like a sponge soaking it all yeah. up. Yeah, and I would say, obviously, now I'm aware of ADHD. I was very hyper-focused on it. I went from exam to exam to exam to exam. I did a lot of learning. Right. And there was a lot of positives to it because I was getting out, I was seeing people, I was doing things. I, I was staying away by myself so I was responsible for myself and my confidence was better in the fact that I can go here and I can do that and do you know what sod it I'm going to Birmingham this weekend or I'm going to Essex next weekend or there was all that yeah which was brilliant but I think when the pandemic hit I realized how much less I was aching how much more energy I had how much I wasn't just jumping from I need to do this, I need to do this, I need mm. to do this, I need mm. to do this. I just had a chance to have a break. Following the pandemic, it came very clear to me with all the events that do go on and all the things you can attend. And with grooming, one of the beautiful things about it is that you never stop learning. Mm. But prior to the pandemic, I was trying to learn it all now. Yeah. Whereas now, I appreciate the fact that I need time to decompress. I need time to wind down right. i need to be not so hyper focused on one thing all of the time right and i do need to remember that there are very important people in, in my life outside of the grooming world right who also i need to spend the time with and not miss out on yeah so i'm not dissuading people from the grooming industry because inevitably i am out doing something probably once every six weeks but it's just not every weekend like it was before do you not think, though, uh, and you've touched on it, but I think what lockdown did for a lot of people made us sit back and take stock. From what you've just said, I mean, the first thing is how punishing on your body that dog grooming can be. Mm -hmm. Now, to someone that's not in dog grooming, they think, oh, what are you talking about? You know, you're only scissoring dogs. But we all know that the physical constraints on your body and the effects on your body after doing a lot of dog grooming. So that's the first thing because you're getting that chance to break but to take stock I suppose in what's important in our lives and I, I think yeah. that affected a lot of people <clears throat> in that way yeah so there is that but then also again bringing it back to learning about ADHD yeah 
like I said before, wood just go and 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 then crash. Right. And the crash is not fun. And you no. can only do it so many times before you think, I don't want to keep going back to this place. I think probably a lot of people have had this, you're bathing a dog and you're just like crying. And it could be about something that's really, it might seem quite mon- mundane from the outside, but when you're in that place and you just haven't stopped and you're just going and going, you've got no energy left, yeah. the little things do seem big sometimes. And I don't like feeling like that. And I don't like getting obsessed with things. And I, like that I do sometimes. And like I say, with these traits that possibly we, we think probably are actually like OCD traits with my checking and my hyper obsessing on things. I'm very lucky in the yeah. fact that I've always got someone who I can call on for when I'm having problems with certain things. Right, right. That's really interesting. Francine has this question again it comes back what was the main thing that inspires you in everything you do with so much passion because you do it with so much passion. again I think the thing is is I like it and then I'm driven to do it it's finding something I enjoy and then not being able to do it by halves I think I said in the podcast with Laura last week was when I got into pot plants most people would buy maybe one or two pot plants and that's it <laughs> I I go in and now I've got 42. Yeah, it's all or nothing, you know, it's isn't it? It's all or nothing. <laughs> so if I like it and I want to do it, yeah. that will be all that I can focus on for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months, maybe a couple of years. It consumes me and I have quite... to do it to the best of my ability and I have to learn as much as I can about it and that generates the passion. Yeah, I don't really have a lot of control over what it is that interests me i just but that's quite i just get quite interested typic- and go with it yeah yeah but that's quite typical of the adhd thing where you get into one hobby and they go heart and soul into it and then all of a sudden something else shiny catches their attention and off they go with that yeah. um, i'm not saying you, you you literally flip from one to the other because you don't no i mean like when you got into these podcasts it wasn't half-hearted i was really impressed from the point of view it was like right this is what i need to do that and you did all this investigation work and how are you going to do it blah 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 the work and research that you've done behind the scenes to be an effective questioner to come up with the right questions and the people that you've managed to get on the podcast amazing um you know people all over the world that takes a lot of hard work i can see that that driver there it's got to be right yeah or not at all that that's how i see see it yeah yeah with the podcast it's i wanted to start this podcast and i was aware it was going to take me some time to actually get going i didn't really realize that it was going to be a case of doing an interview one night spend the next two nights editing it listen to it all on the third night decide i'm going to rechange it or i've got yeah. to do this different or i've got to sort the introductions out and it does take up a lot of time but when i'm in the moment yeah. i'll say i'm going to pop upstairs for an hour or so and work on the podcast and three hours later i come downstairs and i don't realize the time's gone because i'm interested in what i'm doing yeah. and i feel like that's driving me but what i find one thing you haven't addressed and i want to challenge you on is do you have any idea of the impact that these podcasts have had because one young lady messaged you and said and you t- you showed me it and I was like it quite moved me she said something along the lines of you can't believe the the effect that and the help that these podcasts have given me I mean have you give that a lot of thought as to you know this is a tricky subject this is a tricky subject area because a lot of people don't want to admit to that to, to having issues or things like that but the effect that your podcasts are having on people that I mean you only got to look at the numbers it's amazing. The reason I set the podcast up, obviously, is because I always find that learning about things that you struggle with makes things easier. It doesn't yeah. change the fact True. that they affect you. Yeah. It doesn't stop the symptoms that present themselves. But if you can understand it, you can have more forgiveness and more compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I listen to a lot of podcasts regarding mental health and talking about people's life stories and how th- different things have affected them through time mm. and they have really helped me and then they obviously led me on to the ADHD podcast which have been an absolute game changer for me and my mental health and the way that I look at myself and the things that I struggle with. The industry is absolutely rife with people who struggle with similar, the mm. same or slightly different problems and so it just seemed obvious to me to join the dots up and someone like myself who is just an everyday sort of person who mm. wants to inevitably do the best but struggles with different things and I can see it sort of takes one to know one I suppose that other people in the industry struggle with similar sorts of things mm. or different things and 
I think instead of internalising it and just like looking at things on Facebook and thinking, oh, I wish I could do that, I wish I could be like that, mm. you understand that these people have these problems too because some of the people on this podcast that I've had on are amazing groomers. They're people that everyone looks up to in their own respects. And for mm. them to say, actually, I struggle with this or, yeah. you know, I did this once and that's how I learned from it. And mm. it just creates like a more understanding outlook on things. People aren't perfect. If you meet so-and-so who's known for winning with this all the time and they're an expert in their breed and blah, 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 blah. Someone else might meet them in Tesco's and they don't know who they are from Adam. And that's just the fact that you know them for what they're good at. And Mm. everybody's good at things. Everyone struggles with things. And I think it's important for everyone else to understand that they're not alone in their struggles. And this is what you need to do to help yourself. And this is what these people have done. And this is what's worked for them. And I think it's quite... Thanks for that. But you've actually tackled a subject that is... Yes, it's becoming more in the public eye, but it was quite a taboo subject. And you've taken that head on. So I think you need to take some credit for that. You've addressed some pretty tricky subjects in a way. To get that sort of response, going back to what I was saying earlier from listeners that say how much it's inspired them, you've given them a resource. And so much so, you've had a nomination for for your podcast. I think that it's an important topic to speak about. Totally, totally. And also, like what you said about people who have messaged me, yes, I have received some very touching um, letters. Correspondence. Where are we in the 80s? Letters (laughs) came by post. Oh, just address this too. Um, No, I have received some lovely messages on Facebook and across social media where people have said that, you know, it's, it has helped them in various respects, especially with the neurodivergent stuff, which is good because I actually think the more I learn about neurodivergence, the more I can actually see it in our industry and with a lot of the people that uh, are out and about that I, I come across. It's one of them industries where I suppose yeah. working with dogs and, you know, doing something creative and something different will attract those sorts of people. And I think it does also attract people who are slightly more sensitive. And it's something that within our industry should be spoken about and should be understood and um, the more understanding there is between people and with themselves the more easy life is totally those questions that you seem to ask everybody every podcast i'm going to turn them on you now so what affects the mental health in our industry the most internal and external pressure um, combined with exhaustion Mm. together i think makes things a bit difficult at times i don't think it's always pressure from grooming sometimes it's pressure from outside of grooming but having that as well as having a very demanding job that's very physical can be quite exhausting and especially if you don't put the boundaries in place that are necessary and you do keep pushing and pushing and pushing I think that's where a lot of us go into meltdown mode and end up burning ourselves out I think that's where a lot of it comes from. And then you've had a negative experience because you've pushed it too far and because Mm. you've been too exhausted and because you've become too emotional. I think external pressure, as in like seeing the amazing grooms that we see flood the internet, Mm. makes you feel Mm. that perhaps you're less than if you're not achieving those same grooms. But as we said earlier, obviously everyone has their strengths and their weaknesses and not everyone is going to post the weaknesses along with the strengths. From what I feed, pick up from what you said there and feed on that, it's about taking care of yourself, taking time for yourself, because I yeah. think we can be so wrapped up with our, our workday life that we actually forget about us mm-hmm. and about taking care of us, so about doing things like that. What advice would you give to your younger self about work? Okay, so people gave me this advice when I was younger, but I took a while actually putting it into place, charging your worth. Absolutely. Which is something that I know many people always recommend, especially Colin throughout time. He has always banged that, charge your worth, Absolutely. work smarter, yeah. not harder, all this sort of thing. But many, many people have told me over time, you need to put your prices up, you need to do this, you need to da 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 And you just go at it like a warrior and you just yeah. take it on and take it on and take it on. And I wish that I had listened to that advice that I was given. Also, days off, off. As in, when I was doing a lot of my exams, yeah. I would use inevitably use up a day off working on customers' dogs for exams. Or if I was competing, the days that I was prepping out their dogs and practicing on their dogs in between competitions, I would do on a day off. Because I think, well, how I work is I borrow a dog, I don't charge them for the groom, I maintain the dog as if it was my own. And when it comes to competitions or exams, then I can use the dog. So these dogs would need bathing out every week and I would use up days off working on all these dogs. But it's not a day off. So then it becomes (laughs) not a day off. And then you've got one day off left and then you're doing all your housework, all your other chores, you're trying to get everything done 
and you end up not having time off. So finish early one day, block out that afternoon for your competition slash exam dogs and try and still give yourself two days off. I mean, me, me time is so important. It's so yeah. important, but we forget to do it. We can sometimes spend our life being busy, being busy. Yeah, and, and I think... And, and not, not look... Again, it comes back to looking after yourself. That yeah. downtime is so important. And I think the other thing that I was going to say in that question is that it's like when I was talking to Kelly a few episodes ago, connecting with your authentic self, I think, is really something that I've learned that's important. Mm, yeah. And you can't find who you are and you connect with your authentic self if you are just a groomer 24-7. I think that you need to give yourself time yeah. to be you, make your own decisions based on what you want to do rather than just being driven by a business or a hobby or both combined and just not giving yourself those days off. That's interesting because I used to have this old, old mantra that said, you go to work to live, you don't live to go to work. And mm. I think a lot of people get... It's, it, it's easier to say and harder to do because you can get in that trap, can't you? Yeah. So you end up living living work. I know, been there myself, So, and I'm, 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 sure, I'm sure many of the listeners have. So it's about finding that me time, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, what is the best change you have seen in our industry? I think it's good to have all the events that we've got, all of the training we've got. It's good that in our country here in the UK, you can go to a grooming school in most towns or cities in the UK. I have spoken to groomers who have been in the industry a lot longer than me, said that previously you would have to travel maybe three, four hours to go to a grooming school because there just wasn't the education around. And I know that some grooming schools are a hell of a lot better than others, but if someone's prepared to do the background checks and visit a few places and see what sort of things are available, Mm. inevitably there is something where you can access education on your doorstep. The other thing that is a good change is within the nine-ish years that I've been grooming, I think customers are more susceptible to agreeing to come and bring their dog more often. I don't really have a problem with booking dogs in six weekly or less. I think you're very good at educating your clients to get them to understand the need to come more often. It's not about just trying to increase your your revenue. It's done for a very valid reason. And that that Mm. comes back to doing all the exams that I've done. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to like blow my own trumpet or anything, but I do have an educational response to the majority of the problems that a customer presents to me because I have done the qualifications that I've done and anyone can access those qualifications and, and I've that's, always, that's I, great it's interesting actually say because I, I know part of what we do as professionals in whatever capacity you are is about educating people I also go to the effort of explaining you know how to move your dog so it's comfortable how to make sure it's balanced how to make sure that when they're brushing them it's going to be easy for the customers yeah. rather than a fight and a losing battle because they're lifting the knees too high or they're so almost the tail like, higher than it's more yeah. comfortable to do so I always when I have new customers I will say to them I don't mean to be patronizing I do this with every new customer that comes through my door so that I understand that you understand how to groom your dog effectively at home yeah so that the dog will be comfortable and we go through a mini demo of back foot up the back foot how to lift the leg where to lift the leg to yeah where to start, where to finish, how to make sure they're doing it methodically, and inevitably that sets yeah. them up to go forward because if they don't understand, you can, you can say, you know, we did go through this, would you like me to go through it again if you're struggling with such mm. and such problem? Insider tips and tricks, really. That's, that's, that's... Well, it's working together, isn't it, yeah. to make it easier for you and the dog. No, oh. that's absolutely right. And what would you say still needs to change? What would you think needs to change in the industry? I think that groomers need to check in with each other more often. I think we need to have each other's backs a bit more and I think we need to remember to ask if others are okay a bit more. Mm. If we checked in with each other and asked each other if we was okay and we supported each other a little bit more, if we spent more time on our own mental health, such as doing things like therapy or listening to a mental health podcast or it's like starting this podcast, that was the inspiration Mm. for Mm. it. I I Mm. think that... A lot of us struggle, a lot of us don't talk about it, a lot of us aren't always happy to express what's going on behind the scenes. I just think if you've made these friends out and about and you're at a competition and your friend looks a bit tired and a bit run down, or they just haven't got that spark about them like they usually do, or they seem really obsessed with something, you know, that's playing on their mind, just... Be there for that person and maybe check in every couple of months. Yeah. So I'm just checking in on, on Facebook to say, haven't spoke to you in a while. How are you doing? What are you up to? How's this going? You know, just keep those connections going because 
you never know what someone else is going through. And, and sometimes I think having, something... having someone mm. of a similar mind, mm. of a similar in the similar industry mm. that you can express your problems with can be very reassuring and can have a more positive effect on a person than other people might realise. That's quite in interesting. That, that is really quite interesting because I can remember growing up where we weren't a close community so much where we lived, but you know, if someone had a baby, other women or, or families would all muddle in to help because yeah. someone had to deal with the washing, someone had to deal with their kids. And we've kind of lost that in our society now. We're so busy being busy with whatever we're doing in our lives, a lot of it not very constructive. We've almost forgot about the basic collaborations, the basic conversations that we used to have with people. Mm-hmm. We just don't do it anymore. Everything's virtual, everything's online. What's what's the problem with picking up the phone and having a chat? How are you? So we used to live in a society before social media, before all of the, the, the smaller world that we've created through technology, where we could say to someone, everything all right if you need any help. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think I think that you've touched on quite an important point. <coughs> so being kind to each other, yes, being mindful for each other, but also being prepared to say, you're all right. Mm. Yeah. All right, Carla, well, thanks for that. I'll hand back over to you now so you can do the close. Thanks for coming on and helping me. You're welcome. And uh, cheerio. Cheerio. Thank you, Gary, for helping me out with this episode. Before I go, I wanted to recommend yet another brilliant ADHD podcast that I've discovered this week. One of my ex-dance students, Patricia, released that ADHD podcast through BBC Sounds. It's an amazing podcast for educating people about ADHD in a really friendly and structured ADHD way. She's a really nice person and she's been working so hard on this project. She features many experts and even Dr James Brown, who Gary and I mentioned earlier. There are only four episodes and they are all under 30 minutes, so I really recommend that you go and check it out on BBC Sounds. That's all from me this week. Next week, I will be talking to Alison Rogers about taking opportunities that present themselves, how showing, hard work and competing have really helped her on her journey. But for now, have a lovely week. Cheerio! (laughs) 